So today, let's turn to Romans, the sixth chapter. I want to read once again the first 14 verses. So let's read again. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Well, shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live for him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, I'll pause just for a moment. Pay close attention to these next four verses. This is where we're at today. So, so, so listen. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word. And Lord, teach us by the truth of your word and by the power of your spirit, Lord, overwhelm us with your truth this day. Father, just protect me from error. Lord, just let me stay in your word. And Holy Spirit, speak and minister the message that each one here needs to hear. So let us have ears to hear. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, last week, we opened by talking about how Paul had been emphasizing what we know. Is that not how we should live every day? Always going back to what we know. What we know is true from the Word of God about who He is and about who we are in Christ. Always bring it back to this of who and what we know. Uh, just, Just from what we read this morning, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Child of God, don't you know that? Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. Why? That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Do do we understand and do we know who we are in Christ? Now, if we died with Christ, we believe or we know. We know that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Because of the power of the resurrection, we know that if He lives, we who are in Christ will live also. And rise to be with Him. Child of God, these things we know or should know as a certainty that we are born again. And that we should keep coming back to. Paul is emphasizing this over and over and over again. 
He has stated that we have been united with Jesus Christ in his death and have through him, for the children of God, had the penalty of sin paid in full. Amen? Our penalty paid in full. Sin is no longer our master. We no longer live in the realm of sin and death as a child of God. That is no longer us. We're in the realm of righteousness and eternal life. We are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Our old man was crucified with Christ. Do we believe that? Our old man, the old natural man, the man of Adam, crucified. Crucified. Dead has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but now Christ in me. Child of God, do you believe that of yourself? That that's who you are. No longer the old man or woman, but a new creature in Christ. For those who are truly born again, is there anything that can take away our justification. No. Nothing. Here. This will make your ears perk up a little bit. Can the child of God send their way out of heaven? No. No. You can't. Well, wait a minute. There's there's that unpardonable sin thing. There's that. That's not the child of God. What's the unpardonable sin, at least as I see it? Unbelief that Jesus is Lord. There is no pardon for that. We must confess Christ is Lord. And and you say, preacher, here you're coming back to that. Once saved, always saved. For the true child of God, whose are we? We are God's. Is there anything going to take us away from Him, even ourselves, if, if someone falls away? What does that mean? That they were not His. They went out from us because they were not of us. It's like the, the parable of the sower. Yes, that there'll be some seed that'll land on stony ground, and, and, and it'll spring up for a moment, but when the heat comes, what happens? Dead. Because there was no true life there. Uh, some seed among the thorns and the thistles and the brush and the, and all the stuff. It, it, it may spring up for a bit, but then it gets strangled out when the cares and the things of the world comes. Why? Because there was no life there. So do you understand? The true evidence that we are a child of God and that someone is a child of God is that they will endure to the end. Those who endure to the end will be saved. So if you want true evidence, it's longevity. It's persevering. It's being, Does that mean we'll always be perfect and never stumble, never fall, and, and have to deal with sin? No. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying for the truly born again, those who are born of God, this is an irrevocable act of God. We have become His child. Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Let me pause there for a minute. Can an unregenerate person be led by the Spirit of God? No. Only at that moment of their salvation and regeneration when the Lord perhaps would have mercy and shine upon them, then yes. But at that point, they're His. They're His. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God what's evidence how do I know that I'm a child of God his spirit will let me know he will tell me that I am his 
He'll not leave me out there in doubt. I can go to His Word and I can read His Word of what He says about my justification and He will reveal to me, this is you. This is what I've done for you. This is what I've accomplished for you. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Crucified with Christ. Once adopted into God's family, we are His child forever. Amen? Are you rock solid on that? I've been talking about this so much it seems like lately, but that's what Paul keeps hammering on over and over. Do you know, do you know, know, know that you're saved and that you are His, that you are a child of God? Let's let's read this one more time from John 10, verse 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Who's the sheep? The children of God. The born again. And what does he say? I give them eternal life, and they shall never. You got that right? Never perish. Aren't you thankful for saving Keeping power. Because if it was left to me to keep myself, I'd be done for. And you would too. But God in His grace and mercy chose His children. Chose the bride for His Son. You know, we talked about, Jim even mentioned it this morning, types and shadows. That's how it was back in the Old Testament times. The Father chose the bride For the Son, types and shadows, exactly what Christ, what God has done in Christ. He has chosen those to be His Son's bride, the church. (laughs) I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, not even you yourself, understand that is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Isn't there great assurance that comes from knowing this? I I, I hope you understand that there is. There is great assurance in knowing that we are being kept, as it says in, in, in 1 Peter, we've been kept by the power of God. By the power of God. Once a slave to sin, but now a slave to righteousness. Once under the wrath of God, but now set free. Now no condemnation. Verse 1, Romans 8. You know it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To those who have been immersed into Christ. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. John 3, verse 6. You know this? Am I telling you anything new? Of course not. I never do. I've got nothing new for you. It is the Word of God over and over and over again, and that's what we need. Lord, remind me over and over again of Your great and precious promises. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So I'm going to ask you, child of God. Uh Uh-oh, this is a trick question. Are you flesh or spirit? I'm going to let you just mull on that for a second. And I'm going to tell you, you're spirit. Your spirit. But wait a minute. I'll get to that in a minute. But wait a minute. Your spirit. If you are born again, born of the spirit, your soul has been redeemed. You are a new spiritual creature. Your citizenship is now in heaven. 
But, okay, here I'll get to it. This new redeemed spiritual being is housed where? In a mortal body. Housed in this earthly body of flesh. So, now you're going to have to stay with me through all this. Or, or, this will not make sense and you'll and you'll you'll go away thinking I said something I didn't say in a sense we could say we are both not not in identity before God in identity before God we are spirit and we are born again but we are in reality still walking around on this earth in this mortal body yes is this Mortal body redeemed. No. No. It's not. It's not. It's not redeemed. This body of flesh will not enter into heaven. It is decaying. It is breaking down. It is progressively dying. This body. But be of good cheer. We will have those who are in Christ, a new glorified body with Him. Yes? Just like the resurrected body of Christ. I'm going to go, I'm going to say that. What, what do we have to go by? People have asked me, what's this new glorified body going to be like? And, and the only place I can go of what that will be like was what was Christ like after the resurrection? And it's a miraculous thing, isn't it? At some times, people were walking along next to him and didn't recognize who he was. And at other times, people would see him and immediately would recognize who he was. He would be here at one moment and then on the other side in the room the, the next moment. He was able to sit and to eat. He was able to go into the, to the room and put, put your hand into my side. I can't tell you exactly what it's going to be, and I don't think anyone can. It's one of those mysteries and miracles that, that we're going to marvel at someday, I believe. We will receive a new glorified body. Philippians 3, let's look here. Uh, Romans 20 through 21. This is for the born again. The born of the Spirit. For our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, will, will what? Transform our lowly body what's it talking about mortal lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself we will all be changed how will that be all I can do is tell you what Scripture says. At the last trumpet, the dead will be raised incorruptible, immortal. We, we read it last week, right? Let's read a portion of it uh, today. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 through 56. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Why? Why? Because this body of flesh will not enter into heaven. So we must be changed into the likeness of Christ. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on, on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
this body will be changed to a glorious, incorruptible, immortal body. And as I said, in one sense, while we're still walking on earth in these mortal bodies, we are both flesh. And when I'm saying that here, I'm just talking about this body. I'm not talking about identity before God because Scripture talks about those in the flesh and those in the Spirit. That, that's the realm of saved, not saved. That's not what I'm talking about here. I hope you've got to understand that. So, so in a sense, we, we have both. And then someone perhaps would say to me, because I've had this conversation before, so preacher, I've heard people talking about having two natures. So, so that's what you're talking about. You, while we're yet on this earth, we've got two natures. No, no, absolutely not no. I have one nature now. That's not the nature of the flesh, but my new nature, my new creation is spiritual and in Him. Do we understand that? If you are born of God, born again, the old man is dead. The natural man died. We were born again, a new creature. And that's what Paul, I believe, Paul is talking about. What he's saying there in Philippians 3, he said our citizenship is now in heaven. But preacher, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only in the sense that you are still in your mortal body and that's all. Eternally speaking, what are you? Child of God. Born again. Citizen of heaven. In reality, what are we here on this earth? Many an old hymn was sung and written about being pilgrims and strangers on this earth. Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith. Well, we have to have a little context here. Who? Who died in faith? So he's talking about the descendants of Abraham. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. Let me pause there for a minute. Types and shadows of that which is yet to come. Having seen them afar off, were assured of them embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. <laughs> Child of God, do you believe He has prepared a city for you, a country for you, a homeland for you? He has. He has. See, that's us. That's us as born-again believers seeking our true homeland, a, a heavenly country. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. For we know that if our earthly house, what's that? What's he talking about? This mortal body. And then he, he not just a house, he calls it a tent. This tent, why? It's temporary. It's very temporary. For we know that if this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, and one day it will be, it will go back to the dust of the earth from which it came. We have a building from God. <laughs> a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you like the thought of that? I hope you do. I hope you do. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. Why don't you want to go there? Do you long to go there? To be with Christ? To be forever 
in your true homeland. <laughs> you see, our new nature in Christ has us fixed upon things above, the true place of our habitation. In Hebrews 13, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 13, 14 through 16. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Are we seeking heaven? Are we seeking that city to come? Let me ask this. While we're still here on earth, what are we to be doing? Well, let's keep reading. Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That's very fitting for the holiday coming up, isn't it? Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But Now, catch this. Are you listening? Come on. Do not, but do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. While we're here yet on this earth, what do we do? Good. Share. Tell others about your homeland and about what Christ has done for you and what Christ could do for them if they put their faith and trust and confess Christ as Lord. Let's, let's go back to Romans 6, verse 11. Likewise. See, now that's as good as a therefore. Okay? Understand that. Likewise. Even so, knowing and fully believing in everything Paul has said up to this point of who we are in Christ. Likewise, you also reckon, consider, Count it as so. Well, how can I count it as so? <laughs> because God has declared it so in His Word. That's how. Well, how can I believe these things? How can I do it? Because God has declared it in His Word. Take Him at His Word. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> I'm going to ask you another question you're going to have to think about a little bit here. Child of God, are you dead indeed to sin? Yes. Well, how can you say that? Because God's Word said it. See, now, you may have been tempted and you're still sitting there thinking about this. To say no because you know yourself. And you know the struggle with sin that you have. But the truth is, you are dead indeed to sin. God has declared it so. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You are dead indeed to the penalty of sin. Your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. All sins, past, present, future, Jesus has paid the penalty for every believer. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Amen? But we're faced with an earthly reality. Are we not? But what about sin? And again, here's the issue. I know myself, you know yourself. We know we're prone to wonder. We know we're prone at times to stumble and fall. If I am dead indeed to sin, then why does sin still give me so much trouble? That's the question, isn't it? That's the question we need the answer to. Is it not? Have, have, I, I would venture to say every one of you have thought about that at some time in your life. If I'm truly born again, why did I just do what I did? Why did I just say what I said? Why, If I'm born again, I'm going to ask this again. Is this unredeemed body of flesh prone to temptation, prone to sin? Yes. Yes. 
is sin an ever-present foe to be dealt with while we are still in these earthly mortal bodies? Yes. Let's look again at what Paul said, Romans 6, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, child of God, born again believer, do not let sin reign in your what? Mortal body. In this tent. In this house. That you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members. And let me pause there for a minute because I don't think we've talked about this yet. What's it meaning? What's it talking about when it says don't present your members? What's the members? Is that members of a church? Is that members? No, you, you understand what it is, right? It's, it's, your, it's your fingers. It's your tongue. It's your hands, your feet. It's, it's the parts of your body with which you do things and you function. Don't present your hands to be used as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't present your tongue. There's a good one, right? And we could go to the book of James and preach a sermon right there. Don't present your tongue to be used as an instrument or a weapon for unrighteousness. Don't do that. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not... uh, that you should obey it in its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness sin, but rather, but rather do what? <laughs> Come to Jesus. Look to Jesus. But rather, present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Therefore, in, in, in light of who you are, in, in light of what you know, do not let sin reign. Is it possible for a born again a born again believer to have sin reign at least for a moment of time in their mortal body? Yes. Yes, because we sin. We sin. How can that be? How can that be? Here, here's. John MacArthur, here's just one sentence. One sentence. John MacArthur. Sin has no power to control a believer unless the believer chooses to obey its lusts. I must say amen, John. Temptation and lust presents itself But who puts action to it? We do. We do. Temptation cannot make you do anything. Do you understand that? Temptation of its own cannot make you do anything. It's only as you, as I, choose to obey its lust. And why would we ever do such a thing? Exactly. The Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Peter makes a very similar appeal. And we're going to get to to what Dusty just said there. 1 Peter, 2 chapter, verses 9 and 11. (laughs) I've already cut this sermon in half, and I don't know if I'm going to get through the half I've got today. We got got food. We'll keep going. All right. (coughs) All right. This is from Peter. But you are a chosen generation. Child of God, do you understand that? Chosen by God. Before the foundation of the world. I I, I, I can't fathom that. I, I don't know if you can. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, 
who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Fleshly lusts. The lusts, the desires of this mortal body. The sinful desires of this mortal body causes conflict within us. Yes. And Peter states it as a condition of war, a battle. And that's going to be, that's going to be part two of this sermon here. We're, going to, we're, going to, we're not going to get into that a lot today, but that, that, that'll be coming. Let's do this, though. Let's go to Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me pause there for a second. Would you say amen to the Word of God? If we are walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, keeping our thoughts to things above, keeping our thoughts toward what God has done on our behalf, to keep our thoughts to what Christ has done and dying on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, if we're looking to Him, we shall not. Fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because we're going to be filled with Him. There is no room for anything else. I firmly believe that. <laughs> I have to. Because His Word declares it. Let's keep going. Verse 17. For the flesh, mortal body. Lust against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. How could I do that? I, how could I say that? How could I have done that? How could I have looked at that? How could I have... Now, I'm going to go into Romans 7, verses 18 through 25. And I know that there are those who will teach and preach and in their understanding they believe that this struggle that Paul talks about in Romans 7 is the unregenerate unsaved Paul I am not standing with them that, that's not what I see from the word of God that's not what I see from this build up all in through Romans 6 that's not what I'm seeing so let's read. And, and you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding of all this. Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, mortal body, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it, what for how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do. But the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no, I, no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So well there you go, preacher. Then that's unregenerate Paul. Let's keep going. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Now I'm going to pause right there. That is proof enough to me that this is not unregenerate, Paul, because an unregenerate natural man cannot, will not delight in the law of God. Do we see that? It's an impossibility. Because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing so i can just take that one line right there for i delight in the law of god according to the according to the inward man but i see another law in my where members what is members parts of our body mortal body see i i, I believe here he's talking about his mortal body but I see another law in my members warring. Here we got that battlefield wartime thing going on. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity 
to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Have you ever said that of yourself? How could I have done such a thing? What a wretch I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thank I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. Mortal body. I have two quotes. John MacArthur, here's one. Quote. Now listen, listen. Because a believer is a new creature in Christ, his immortal soul is forever beyond sin's reach. The only remaining beachhead where sin can attack a Christian is in his mortal body. One day that body will be glorified and forever be out of sin's reach. But in the meanwhile, it is still mortal, that is, subject to corruption and death. It still has sinful lusts because the brain and the thinking process are part of the mortal body. And Satan uses those lusts to lure God's people back into sin in whatever ways he can. End quote. I thought that was pretty good. We had an illustration several weeks ago that, that, that we're no longer in the realm, the field of sin and death, but we're over here in the realm of life in a different field. But he still yells across the road. Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> you can see who I'm influenced by in particular with, with this. I was just sitting reading Jones. And I was just marveling and thanking God for him. I was. Here's what he said. I myself as a new man in, in Christ am dead indeed unto sin. I have nothing more to do with it. And it has nothing more to do with me. I have finished with it as such. I myself. But it is here, still in my mortal body, and it will continue to be with me, and I shall have to deal with it as long as I am in this mortal body. Thank God I know that it can never get me back under its dominion. <laughs> never again can it master me. Never again can it ruin my soul. Impossible. All it can do is to tempt me to lust. It cannot affect my salvation. It cannot affect my final destiny. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Reckon ye yourselves therefore to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God. Yes, but in the meantime it will go on tempting me to lust. But do not let it master. Do not let it reign over your mortal body. End quote. Let's put verse 12, Romans 6, verse 12. Put it back up for a moment. Therefore, child of God, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, to me, the implication is that you can let it. Because we've get, been, we're given the admonition, don't let it. He wouldn't say that unless we could let it. Does that make sense? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. A God-given desire can be turned into sin through the temptation of lust. So stay with me here for just a moment. Here, here's some examples. When we're hungry, we have a desire for food. Yes? Food gives our body nourishment and energy. But when sin gets involved and captures the desire, it can become gluttony, bulimia, anorexia. When we're thirsty, we have a desire to drink, which is good. It hydrates our bodies so that our bodies might function as they should. But sin perhaps may come and turn that desire for drink into more than just water or something of that nature, but to tempt toward alcohol 
or other things that may be addictive to drink. The desire for sexual satisfaction is, is a good thing within the bounds of marriage. It brings children. It, it brings marital joy. But sin creeps in and tempts it to take it into the realm of fornication, adultery, homosexual relations, or pornography addictions. Do you see? The desire for rest and sleep that refreshes the body can be drawn into slothfulness or laziness. Sin can take good desires and turn the members of our body into instruments of unrighteousness. Do you see that? If we allow it. Why would we allow it? Because at that particular moment, our desire is greater for something else than it is for God. True? How how else could it be? At that particular moment when we perhaps would succumb to sin, to temptation, at that particular moment we have preferred something else rather than God and His Word. True? Seems to me that's true. Verses 12 and 13, add verse 13, 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness sin to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Members of your body. And again, what's I talking about? The, the parts of your body. Your hands, your feet. I'm going I'm to say it this way. All the parts of your body. And you are the, able to understand what I'm saying when I say all. You know what I'm talking about without me having to say it. Okay? All parts. Do not present them to be used as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not allow them to be used as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not put them at the disposal of sin. To be used by sin. To not make them available. Can I say it that way? One more, Lloyd-Jones. That is what we must learn to do in detail. We must not allow any one of the faculties of our body to be used in the service of sin. I must not allow my strength. I must not allow my energy, my appetites, my speech, my mind, my thinking. I must not allow my imagination or my emotions, all these things which are part of me and the expression of my personality, I must not allow any one of them ever to be used by sin and in the service of sin. End quote. That should be my attitude. Child of God, that should be your attitude. It must never happen. In that quote, Lloyd-Jones mentions the mind, our, our thinking, our imagination, and emotion. Now, are, are these parts of the instruments that we might surrender to be used as instruments of unrighteousness? I'm going to say yes. Yes. Proverbs 23, this first part of verse 7, I made... Boy, there you go. (laughs) Is that big enough to see? Can you see that? For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. See, we might not literally do certain sins in our mortal bodies, but we sure might think about them. Correct? Imaginations. Sinful imaginations. Is that sin? Yeah, I just let it out of the bag. Sinful imaginations. Letting your mind go to places it shouldn't go. That's sin. That's sin. 
For those moments we are surrendering our minds to sinful thoughts, allowing our minds to be used as instruments of righteousness. And what can happen, what we think in our mind, can work its way into action. Oh, I would never do those things. If you're allowing your mind to think of those things, think about those things, there's that possibility it may go into the realm of physical reality and never think that it can. So what about our thoughts and our thinking? Particular verse come to mind. How about Philippians 4.8? Does that come to mind? Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. See, there you go. Is those imaginations and thought, are they pure? Are they pure according to the Word of God? Are they pure? Are they impure? Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about these things. I know I've said, and I know we've talked about this, it kind of seems to me that any sin that we would commit or do in our mortal bodies started first with a thought. That's that's reasonable and logical, isn't it? That it starts first in our thinking. And then it progresses to action. Now, I know something can happen at a real spur-of-the-moment outburst. Well, I really didn't have much time to think about that. And here, just let me say that. If something blurts out and you didn't have time to think about it, you need to, you need to check yourself, don't you? Because what's in the heart comes out. Do you, you see what I'm saying? It, it, if Okay, I didn't have time to think about that. It just blurted out. I don't know how. I know. Well, I'll tell you how. Because it's already embedded in there. You need to pray, cleanse me, Lord, cleanse me, Lord, that this would not happen. So what do we do with our thoughts? And perhaps some of you know where I'm going right now. I'm going to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3-5. through Because we've talked about this a lot. For though we walk in the flesh, that's talking about mortal body. This is not talking identity, flesh, and spirit. This is one of those times this is talking about the mortal body. I'm walking around in this mortal body. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What do we do when a thought or imagination comes that is impure, that is a thought that we should not go down that trail. What do we do? <laughs> Barney Fife just came to mind. Nip it in the bud. Nip it, nip it, nip it. And, and that's true. That's true. Stop it immediately. Don't let it blossom. Don't let it grow. Nip it. I believe it means that when we are tempted to believe something that is not true according to the Word of God, or when we are tempted by lust to commit sin, we must take those thoughts captive, stop them in their tracks, and just say no. I know that was a campaign years ago. I forget which... uh, Was that Reagan's wife that did that, I think? Perhaps... uh, just say no to drugs. Well, it's it's not just say no to sin. It's not only that. It's saying yes to the Lord. It's saying yes to God. Do, do not present yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. And, and, and here I want to point this out because we've done this before, I think it was a couple years ago, the last time I did it, when we read there in in 2 Corinthians 10, it said, for the weapons of our warfare, that word for weapons and the word uh, 
for instruments in Romans 6, same word. Same word, hop along, hop, hop along. Same Greek word. Do not present your members as instruments or weapons to be used by the enemy. And we'll talk about that perhaps in the next sermon. Do not present your members as instruments unrighteous, but rather, but rather present yourself to God. Again, it's what Jim talked about. Look to Him. Feed on Him. It's That's the key, is it not? That's the key. Don't present your members to sin, but present yourselves to God. I have one... Let's see if I got more. I, I think I just got one more Lloyd Jones quote. Quote. Because here's what's at stake. Well, what's the big deal? Here's what's at stake. Now listen, listen, everybody. Amen. Amen. Here we go. What is at stake if I allow sin even a momentary reign in my mortal body? Think about that for a minute. What's at stake? Well. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm being kept by the power of God. Nothing can separate me from Him, so I, I'm good. No, no. Listen, listen, listen. What's at stake? Listen, the very honor of God. The very honor of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake. If I claim to be a child of God, if I claim to be one who has been adopted into the family of God, that I am of the household of God, if I believe all that Paul has been teaching, then I say to myself, if I allow sin to reign in my mortal body, I am disgracing my Father, my Savior, and the family of heaven to which I belong. I cannot do that. End quote. That's what's at stake. Don't be flippant about your sin while you are still on this earth walking around in these mortal bodies. Sin is an ever-present enemy. We're going to get into the wartime stuff later. I do want to do one more, two more scriptures. I want to go to Genesis. Let's go back to the beginning of things. Let's go to the fourth chapter. Let's read 3 through 8. We had Adam and Eve. Who's the next two? Cain and Abel. Let's read about it. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, how about that? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Apparently, he hadn't done well. I can't pinpoint what that was, but he didn't do well. Because if he had done well, it would have been accepted. Correct? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. ESV reads, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. <laughs> Isn't that exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 6? Isn't it? Sin lies at the door. It's crouching at the door. It's just waiting for you to open the door and let it in. Right? Now Cain talked with Abel his brother. 
And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Did Cain take thoughts captive? No. His imaginations were running wild. His anger was running wild. His bitterness, his resentment was running wild in his mind to the point he killed his brother. Is what you think about important? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. My grandkids will tell you, or at least I think they would, that when we get together and have Cousin Day or Papa Grammy Day, we usually have some kind of lesson to start out the day. And somewhere in the midst of it, I always tell them, be a good thinker today. Stop and think before you say something, before you blurt something out. Is it going to be helpful? Is it going to be something good? Is it going to hurt somebody's feeling? Is it going to be ugly? Stop and think before it comes out. Because once it's out the lips, once it's out the door of your mouth, it can't be sucked back in. It's out there. And you've got to own it then. And you can also ask them, I make them own it. I will ask them until they do own it. But that's us, isn't it? What about my imaginations? What about my thoughts? What about yours? What are you feeding on? Let's look at this. One more, one more passage. Galatians 5. It's one of those lists of Paul. Verses, let's go 18 through 25. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let me pause there. Let's talk about those who are born of God, born of the Spirit. We are no longer under law, but we are under what? Grace. He goes on to say, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now, in this case, this can mean, could mean of the unregenerate. Could mean that. They are either flesh or spirit. This could be of just talking about the unregenerate. Or, maybe it's talking about some of the sins that we may allow to come in during lusts. Perhaps. You think about that. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. I'm going to pause there for a minute. Are all of these things that a born-again believer could open the door to and allow to come in? think so. Adultery, sorcery, Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And right there, it's talking about those who do not know God. Those who practice, that's all they do. This is them. That's a picture of them. All these things. But what about the child of God? What should be the picture of them? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. and I pray that it would give us much to meditate on. That every one of us, every one of us, would consider our position before You. Are we only flesh? Are we only a child of Adam? Or have we been born of the Spirit? 
See, there, there's the great question of the day because that's the only two choices as far as identity goes before you, Father. So I pray by the truth of Your Word and by the power of Your Holy Spirit that, that You would shine light into darkness, that You would speak truth into unbelief, that You would bring to life someone who is yet dead in their trespasses and sins. Father, grant them faith that they may believe. Grant them repentance as they would cry out to You, confessing their sins, repenting and confessing Christ as Lord. Father, grant them repentance and help them, Lord, to turn from their sinful, wicked ways and turn and follow Christ. And Lord, for us who who are born again, Lord, help us to remember that all these things we've talked about today. Help me, Father. Help me to be so in touch and in tune with the Spirit that anything, this mortal body, desire, temptation, lust, whatever it is, would try to come, there would be absolutely no room whatsoever for it. Lord, help us not to open the door because we know, everyone of us in here, we know, we know our weakness. We know the temptations we're prone to fall to. We know the sin that, that we are prone to fall to. So Lord, help us, help us, help us that we would never open the door and allow it to come in. And even if it's very momentary, that we would not allow it for one second to take the members of our mortal body and use them for unrighteousness. So Father, help us all to examine ourselves. Lord, I pray that not one who would have heard, has heard this sermon would leave and not, and not examine themselves to not consider all of these things. Father, every day, help us to feed on Christ. Help us every day to stand firm. Stand firm. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.